0: Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the God who created this entire universe, created each one of us, placed us here where we are today in this country. You're the one who has blessed America. And yet, from the very beginning until now, just like your people in Israel, We've strayed, we've gone our own way, and yet there have been many good things. We thank you for the foundation upon which this country became a country in this world. We thank you that today we don't worship the country, we don't worship the flag, we worship you, but we acknowledge the great gift that you've given to us of this country. We also acknowledge the country of origin of everyone who is here And thank you for all that you've brought to us by way of diversity. We thank you that it's a great reminder of how you take so many different parts and put them all together into one united body, one united family, one united church. So we thank you for that, and thank you that we can celebrate that, and we can celebrate freedom even now, the greatest freedom of all, the freedom that we have to be in Christ And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You see on the screen the title of the message this morning, the Declaration of Dependence. Some of you may have seen that earlier. You're looking at it now and you say that must be a misprint. This is actually a celebration of Independence Day. The 1776 Declaration was a Declaration of Independence, not a Declaration of Dependence. Who made the mistake? One of the secretaries or me? Well, you know our secretaries don't make any mistakes. And you know that I don't admit to any mistakes. So it must have been intentional. And it was intentional. It's not a misprint. I'd like to explain a little bit what the title means, and I'm sure that most of you have caught on already. We're celebrating freedom this weekend. But we can celebrate not just political freedom, but also spiritual freedom. And that's what we're going to be doing. And what that means is that there is no one who is freer, no one who possesses more liberty than the one who is dependent on God. Sometimes we equate freedom and liberty with independence. I don't answer to anyone. I do exactly what I want to. I can do what I please whenever I want to do that. That's not real freedom. The best freedom is to be dependent on the Lord. And so, as we're looking at the scriptures, we find out very easily the only way to be truly free is to be totally dependent. John 8, 36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, we're looking for ultimate freedom, that which comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom is not the state of having no boundaries, but knowing how to live within the boundaries. Are fish free? Are fish free? The fish in the ocean. I'm not talking about the aquarium kind of fish or the kind of fish that end up at the supermarket. But the fish in the ocean, are they free? They are free. Are they free in the air? Fish free in the air? Um, not for very long. Are birds free? They've got to be. We've got an expression as free as a bird. So they've got to be, right? Yeah, they are. But birds aren't free in water. Are they? So we can say very, very clearly, freedom is not the state of having no boundaries, but knowing how to live within the boundaries. To be free and independent from God is to be a fish out of water, or a bird in water, or a bird in a cage. These fish were on their way from refereeing a um, fish basketball tournament. You can see the birds, you can be as free as a bird but you wouldn't want that bird there playing in that basketball game that those fish were refereeing. The Bible states the declaration of dependence in many places and many ways. I'd like to sample a few of them. And I'd like it to be a blessing and an encouragement to each one of us because we're going to see how clearly it is in the Scripture that to be dependent on God is the ultimate freedom. We can see in John chapter 15, and if you'll all turn there with me, please, John chapter 15. We'll read the first five verses. I want to stress verses four and five, but let's pick up at verse one. These are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener, if you will, or the Husbandman, in some of the translations. He's the one who takes care of everything. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now notice these words in verse 4. Abide in me, So if we're trying to do something on our own, if we're trying to depend on ourselves, if we think maybe we've got it together, the Lord Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't want to be left on our own. We want to be depending on Him for absolutely everything that we are and everything that we do. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. These are verses that I say to myself every Sunday in the morning. Um, and oftentimes during the week as well, such as the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency or adequacy or competency, depending on the translation, is from God. We have nothing to offer. And that's why every Sunday I pray that prayer. I don't want to get up here in the pulpit thinking that I have something to offer to you. I don't have a thing my tank is always empty i have no sufficiency competency no adequacy on my own anything good that's ever going to get accomplished in here is because god's word is here and because god is the one who empowers we find other scriptures we find in for example second corinthians chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 i'm sorry I need to move on in ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. None of us are ever going to be strong on our own. And that's why the declaration of dependence is stated in the scripture over and over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31, and we've seen some of these scriptures on the screen already, we've, we've quoted them together. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. He's the one who supplies the strength. And I like it where it says, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. I have five young men who are going to be helping us in a few moments to do the message. Uh, these are five young men who um, I'm going to guess had to be a little bit tired after Alden Bible Camp. They were all working with Alden Bible Camp during the week. And I want to tell you, you can be very, very proud of these gentlemen and others like them who were working with Alden Bible Camp, but I'm especially proud of these guys. I was watching them, and I watched them every day. And you know how when you're high school early college, some things are cool and some things are not? And is it cool to be in a gym with all these little kids, singing a song, doing the motions, jumping up and down? You know how most guys would be? They'd be like this. They weren't. They were doing the motions. They were entering into it. They were cooler than cool. Um, and I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciated that. I was watching all of you. And my apologies to the rest of them, but there was a special hero. Connor was awesome. In fact, Connor, I'd like, well, I won't ask you to come up, but if, if you do the motions to some of those songs that you were, he was, he was awesome. Well, I couldn't help but think they're going to be helping us a little bit later on, but even you's shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And they even need to wait on the Lord, as do all of the rest of us. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul told us a little bit more about the declaration of dependence. He said, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It was so bad, he thought for sure there was no way out at all. But why? To teach them to rely on God. They couldn't do it themselves. That's a declaration of dependence. Another verse that I quote to myself, not just every Sunday, but during the week as well, very, very often as in Zechariah chapter 4, second part of the verse, where it says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Nothing will ever be accomplished because of might or power. Nothing will ever be accomplished because of strategy or how well we've planned it, how well we've prepared, the best resources that we have, the best people who are involved with it. Nothing is ever going to amount to anything except by God's Spirit. Nothing will be accomplished in our service of worship today unless God's Spirit works within us. Oftentimes when we pray beforehand, I I lead in prayer and I'll be talking to the Lord and, and saying, our desire is to glorify you, it's to honor you but we've got to ask you to help us to even do that. It would be nice if we didn't need any help and we could just offer him something that we were doing on our own. We can't even do that. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, he tells us. Declaration of dependence can be seen also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, if it were inherent to you. Why do you boast as if I did something great? Because that's not the case. Everything that we have is because we've received it from the Lord. America needs to have that dependence on the Lord. America has done some great, great things, and I'm afraid that some Americans think that it's because of the spirit of America rather than the spirit of God. It's because America is a rags-to-riches story. We pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we were able to accomplish so much, beginning with the independence that we achieved back in 1776 and beyond. But it's not America That made America great. It's God who made America great. And often we hear people talk about separation of church and state. We've heard that expression often, haven't we? Sounds good. Separation of church and state. The problem is that as many people mean it, it's as if the Bible and Christian principles would somehow corrupt our government and our politics. So we've got to stay away from all of that. We've got to keep religion over here and we've got to keep Christian, we've got to keep politics over here. Uh, Never the twain shall meet. It's a sad country who does not allow Christian principles and the scriptures to be able to interact with them. It's actually very, very hard to separate the Bible and Christian principles from our country because of the many parallels down through history. The parallels of being citizens in our country and citizens of heaven. We're citizens of this world and another world that's a lot better. And I want to share three of those parallels this morning. They should help us to be better citizens of both worlds. Citizens of the United States and citizens of heaven. And the first of these three parallels between this world and the next world is that the call to freedom is an honorable one. The call to freedom is honorable. And the call to freedom is so honorable that even the threat of death doesn't chase away the thirst for freedom. Ryan Burton's going to share something with us right now from history. In
1: 1775, a man spoke before the Virginia Provincial Convention in an effort to convince the convention that the Virginia militia be armed to defend the colony against England. That man was Patrick Henry. He is best remembered for his words spoken at that time Give me liberty or give me death. For centuries, Americans have taken great pride and gained immense satisfaction from those words. A contemporary of Patrick Henry said of him, He is by far the most powerful speaker I've ever heard. Every word he says not only engages, but commands the attention.
0: Give me liberty or give me death. How many of you have heard of that expression before? (laughs) I think it's safe to say everybody has heard that expression before. Give me liberty or give me death. In the ultimate sense, the Bible makes it clear that the choice for all of us is liberty or death. It's liberty in Christ getting everything that he offers for us or death, which always in the Bible is separation. And the second death, the ultimate death, is separation from God for all of eternity in that place called hell that is a very literal place that the Bible describes for us. In fact, the one who tells us that is more powerful and more influential than Patrick Henry ever was. Even though someone could say of him, the most powerful speaker that they'd ever heard, there's actually someone else more powerful of whom they said, never did anyone speak the way this man spoke. And that, of course, would be the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ himself spelled out clearly to those who listen to him that they did not achieve true freedom in him, and if they did not, they would die in their sins. Jesus gave the choice of liberty or death. You can be totally free for all of eternity, or you can be separated from him for all of eternity. But we don't have to fight for ultimate liberty. We don't have to fight for it because it's a free gift. It's all according to grace. It's a necessary gift though because if we don't have liberty we will get death. Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's a choice. Give me liberty or give me death. I think any thinking person would want the liberty. But that liberty comes at a little bit of a price, some would say, because we have to declare dependence on the Lord to get that liberty. And that's the point of all we're doing here. Exclusive... Or inclusive? What would we say? Exclusive or inclusive? In other words, who can gain freedom? Is it something that is limited? Now, we had someone who is going to be reading now, and we had a last-minute substitution. John Belusio, I appreciate, didn't have an extra copy for him, so he gets to come all the way up here in front of everybody up here to share with us a little bit about what you see pictured on the screen. He hasn't had a chance to rehearse this, look it over, but for a couple of seconds. Appreciate your subbing for us.
2: Towering above New York Harbor is the Statue of Liberty, a symbol of hope for oppressed people around the world. It is also a symbol that the freedom, of, the, freedom the United States has declared is sincere and unselfish. We desire that same freedom for all the peoples of the world. The history of our country shows that we are willing to make great sacrifices for others as well as for ourselves. For more than 100 years, that statue lady with freedom torches held high has welcomed refugees from across the seas. Inscribed on the pedestal of the stirring monument are these words by Emma Lazarus from the summit the new Colossus, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores, send these the homeless tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp besides the golden door. Hundreds of thousands of immigrants who could not tolerate the stifling air of tyranny have responded to this invitation and made the U.S. their homeland. Yes, the call to freedom is honorable and generous.
0: Thank you. Didn't he do a fine job? Knowing his father, you weren't expecting that, were you? uh, No, wait, that's not... (laughs) Public speaking. (laughs) There is another monument, as we see the one picture on the screen, but there is another monument that offers ultimate spiritual freedom to burdened souls everywhere. Uh, Its shape is in that of a Roman cross. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ hung there His hands were also held high, but his hands were held high with spikes. Carson Shainer is going to share with us something right now.
1: Visitors to the Smithsonian Museum of American History see the flag that flew over Fort McHenry when Francis Scott Key wrote the Star Spangled Banner in 1814. The original flag measured 42 feet by 30 feet. It was the immense size of the flag that allowed Key to see it from his position 10 miles out to sea following the night of gunfire. The means by which a flag that large could fly on a pole 189 feet in the air is on display at Fort McHenry on in Baltimore's Inner Harbor. There, in one of the barracks, are two oak timbers, 8 feet by 8 feet, joined as a cross. National Park Service personnel discovered this cross-shaped support near the entrance to Fort McHenry in 1958 buried 9 feet in the ground. Not only did the cross piece help rangers locate the original site of the star-spangled banner flew, answer the mystery of how such a large flag could fly in stormy weather without snapping the pole, this unseen wooden device provided a firm foundation to the symbol of our national freedom. Similarly and much better, the cross of Christ provides the foundation on which our faith is rooted and supported.
0: So the next time you visit Fort McHenry or the next time you see or hear the national anthem, the next time you think about that flag that was still there think about the cross that kept that flag there just like the cross keeps all of us where we need to be kept just as the statue of liberty issues an invitation the lord jesus also issued invitations to us matthew 11:28 we've seen this not too long ago in our sunday morning study of matthew come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest revelation chapter 3:20 The Lord Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we understand, of course, that he's not talking about a door similar to one of these that we entered by and will exit by. He's standing about the door of our being. He's talking about our very hearts. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if anyone says to the Lord Jesus, Come in, he says, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. In other words, we will have fellowship together. What great invitations on the part of the Lord Jesus. Come to me. Open the door and I will come in. From the cross has come an invitation to poor, tired masses that languish in spiritual bondage. The one who suffered there was more than a symbol of liberty. He died in our place. He was the author of liberty. And So we understand as as we look at, at our country and we look at those things that we hold to be very, very special, we understand the parallels between those things and what we see in the scriptures. Here's another parallel. The cost of freedom is high. The cost of freedom is very, very high in both worlds. For the citizen, for the citizen, the cost is very high, and Austin Kiker is going to share with us something of a reminder of some of that cost.
3: Gettysburg Address. On November 19, 1863, a speech was delivered by Abraham Lincoln at the dedication of the National Cemetery on the Civil War battlefield of Gettysburg, pA. Among other things, he said, we are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. In the Union Army, 23,000 were killed, wounded, or missing at Gettysburg. In the Confederate Army, it was 25,000.
0: The cost of freedom was high in all of the wars, all of the police actions, all of the interventions our country's been involved with in the cause of freedom. How could anybody even begin to calculate the cost of lives and limbs and loved ones who saw what had happened to those that they sent off and sometimes never came back, and many never came back the same. Now, I would like to tell you about five men who are not well-known but paid a great cost for our liberty. And Connor Ruskowski is going to share with us about those five men.
3: Carter Braxton
0: of Virginia, a wealthy
3: planter and trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all his properties. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, and his family lived in poverty and in hiding. Thomas Nelson of Virginia raised $2 million on his own signature to gain help for our cause. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Nelson's home for his headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered General George Washington to open fire on the Nelson home. The home was destroyed, and after the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiping out his entire estate. His government never reimbursed him, and he died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and belongings destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and mill were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home only to find his wife dead, and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. Who were they? They were five of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. They would pay the price. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy, or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or its more merciful bullets.
0: The cost is high, and that was just one war. Cost was very, very high as as we look at some of the statistics. Loss of life in the military during our top ten wars has been estimated at 1.34 million individuals. That's the top ten wars, 1.34 million individuals. The cost for freedom has been very, very high for the citizen. But what about for the Christian? The cost been high for the Christian? Well, the cost of ultimate freedom was ultimately high. It cost God his son. It didn't cost us anything. It gave to us. That's what grace is all about. cost Jesus his life, but it didn't cost us anything except getting rid of the guilt and penalty of our sins and being able to believe in the Lord Jesus who paid that ultimate price. And that's what grace is all about. And that's why you hear us quoting so often these great verses in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Once again, we're not dependent on ourselves. And that's so that no one can boast. Declaration of dependence seen again. Here we have it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We see it elsewhere about the cost of our freedom, what it cost God. For God so loved the world. And that doesn't mean the cosmos, as some people will say. He loved the cosmos. He loved the individuals. He loved all of the people in the world so much that he gave his only son. Think about that cost. Would you be willing to give one of your children for the sake of other people. He gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the cost is seen clearly in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The cost of freedom for the Christian. It was a huge cost, but we didn't pay it. God did by giving us His Son. The Lord Jesus did by shedding His precious blood, the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish or spot. So the cost of freedom, as we think in terms of it, it's always high. But grace says we don't have to pay that of the ultimate freedom. There's a third parallel. The third parallel is that the cause of freedom is harmonious with church and state. You're going to see I'm going to take a little exception with this whole idea that we should have separation of church and state. I don't think we should take godly principles out of government. Whenever we do that, we can see the mess that results from doing that. There's an interconnection between a nation's health and a nation's dependence on God. individual by the name of William Ward said this, I believe in America. I believe it became great because of its faith in God, its hope for independence, and its love for freedom. How many of you are familiar with Alexis de Tocqueville? Do you know that name? Does that name ring a bell? He wrote two-volume books called Democracy in America. He did a little tour of America. He was actually started with the prison system and was uh, going around finding out all that he could about America so that he could write about democracy in America, and and again, starting with our penal system. And here's a conclusion that is very, very famous in American history that he came to. I sought for the greatness of America in her harbors and rivers and fertile fields, and her mines and commerce, it was not there. Not until I went into the churches and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the greatness of her power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. I'm going to quote from some of our founding fathers, not with the intent of saying that every one of our founding fathers could come in and sign our doctrinal statement and we would see eye to eye on everything that is there. Um, That's not the case. But the point that I would like to make, that from these founding fathers, some of whom may have been deists, some of whom may have changed their whole religion over the course of their lives, from them comes an honoring to God and His Word that is unlike anything that we've seen recently in in our country. Do not let anyone, someone says, do not let anyone claim the tribute of American patriotism if they ever attempt to remove religion from politics. Let me say that again. Do not let anyone claim the tribute of American patriotism if they ever attempt to remove religion from politics. That was spoken by a gentleman by the name of George Washington in his farewell address To the nation. Here's someone else. The highest glory of the American Revolution was this that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. Former President John Quincy Adams. Here's another one it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Patrick Henry said more than give me liberty or give me death. Patrick Henry also said that. Here's another one. The First Amendment has erected a wall of separation between church and state, but that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. That's worth repeating. The First Amendment has erected a wall of separation between church and state, but that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. may surprise you that the one who said that was Thomas Jefferson. One more. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Spoken by James Madison, the chief architect, by the way, of the Constitution. Here's the question. Can we declare that same dependence on God? It's got to start with us as individuals. We can't change the whole country by an act of our will, but we can change our own attitudes by acts of our will. Powerful verse in the Scriptures from 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That, there it is again. It's another declaration of dependence. Humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. Psalm thirty-three, twelve. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You often hear us talk about us needing to be salt, light. And fragrance. If it's not coming from us, who's it going to be coming from? Who is it that's going to be a light? Who is it that's going to be salt? Who is it that's going to be fragrance, doing what we're supposed to be doing in this world? If it's not the Christians who name God's Word as inerrant and the authority of our lives, it's got to be a huge part of who we are so we can truly permeate our country. And I appreciated Scott praying for the elections coming up. There are a lot of people who are very cynical about the elections this year. There are a lot of people who are looking to this and saying, I don't know what to do because things look like they're getting worse and worse. But we as Christians aren't to throw up our hands in despair. If we want to throw up our hands, let's fold them when <laughs> we do that. And let's be talking to the Lord and praying for our country. And let's do that right now. Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you so very, very much for making us need to be dependent, helping us to realize that we can do nothing at all on our own. Thank you for America. Thank you for this country. But we understand that we've strayed. We understand that we need to repent. We need to confess. We need to forsake our wicked ways. Help each one of us to be a catalyst that you can use and those with whom we have contact with to be that salt and light and fragrance, to make a difference, to be able to be what you intend for us to be. Help none of us ever to be content with either preparing to or for making a living, but help us to be prepared to make a difference. We would thank you for that now and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.